Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 5 this morning. We continue our series entitled Heroes, speaking about the great heroes of the faith. We talked last week about Abel, uh, early in the book of Genesis, the first man who ever really walks by faith. You see, it was impossible for Adam and Eve to walk by faith because they had walked by sight. They saw God. They met with God in the cool of the day in the garden. And so they weren't faith uh, walkers. Cain and Abel were the first two to have that opportunity. And Cain chose not to do it. Abel did do it. And we talked last week about a lasting legacy. And this week we'll speak about a pleasing pace. A pleasing pace. And this week we're going to be speaking about a man by the name of Enoch, who the Bible says very little about, but what it says about him just ought to stand out to us in Scripture. If Abel taught us the way to enter the life of faith, Enoch teaches us the way to live the life of faith. You see, Enoch entered the life of faith by faith in the blood sacrifice. And that's how we all get there. This morning, if you're trying to get to God any other way than through the blood sacrifice of Jesus, you can't get there. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So you can try to be a good person, but that's not going to get you there. You remember that old song we used to sing in Sunday school? It said, uh, oh, you can't get to heaven. And there were a lot of different ways you couldn't get to heaven. But I tell you what, There's no way except the way of Jesus. He is the only way to the Heavenly Father. And so that's what Abel did. He entered the life of faith through the blood sacrifice which he offered unto God. Now Enoch is a bit different because we don't learn how to enter the life of faith. That's what Abel taught us. We actually learn how to live the life of faith through Enoch's life and testimony. We'll read verses 1 through 3. As the Bible teaches us here what faith is, what faith does, and what faith allows us to do. And then we'll skip down to verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. It is through faith that we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now that's a good time to stop and promote the Renewed in Truth series that we're having. Not this next weekend, but the following weekend we're having a Renewed in Truth series about creation. And we're not going to give you a bunch of science mumbo-jumbo and carbon dating. You know what we're going to look at? The Word of God. It's because through faith and the promises of God's Word, we understand that the worlds were framed, not by things which are seen or do appear, but they were crafted and formed by the very Word of God. So we'll be taking a look at that, and I hope you'll be a part of that in just a few weekends. Skip down to verse number 5. The Bible says, By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Take your Bibles now to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter number 5 is where the story of Enoch is uh, told. Somebody once said that this is the and he died chapter. Because as you read down through all of the uh, different uh, births and 
and uh, the, the begatitude, so to speak. In verse number 5, we see, And Adam lived, were, uh, and the, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years, and we got Enos. And uh, he goes down, and you'll see in verse number 8, And he died. You'll, you'll go down, and you'll see in verse number 11, And he died. You go all the way through in verse number 14, And he died. You go down to verse number 17, And he died. There's a very central theme to this passage of Scripture. It's that everybody that is born dies at some point or another. But as we get down to verse number 21, we find the Bible says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years. Sixty-five years old. Now, in this day and age, it would have been very young compared to all those that were around you. And he begat Methuselah, who eventually ended up being the oldest man in the world. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years, begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years old. The book of Hebrews tells us that Enoch lived a life that pleased God. And that was his testimony around town. For before this, before he died, he had the testimony that he pleased God. So much to the point where God redeemed him early, if you will. It's a pretty remarkable story, but we're, this morning we're going to take a look at what we can learn from it. Yesterday I went on a visit. I went to visit Brother Jeff. Recently, Brother Jeff had a, uh, a colon surgery. He had been diagnosed earlier this year with colon cancer. And uh, I was going to visit him, check up on him, see how the surgery went this last week. And praise the Lord, it's been doing well. If you've been praying for Brother Jeff, thank you for that. He was very clear that uh, there were three other men or two other men in the hospital with him that had had the same surgery, even days much earlier than he had had it. But he was doing better than them all. And he said, it's only because God and I have a lot of people praying for me. So if you've been praying for Brother Jeff, thank you for that. And uh, so I went to visit him yesterday and check up on him and... And uh, we got to talking about his surgery, and he, they mentioned that earlier this year, he had been diagnosed with colon cancer, and just a month later, their 11-year-old grandson, his name is Christopher, had been diagnosed with leukemia. So in the span of about two months, they had found out all this very tragic and bad news right in the span of two months. And so... Uh, uh, Christopher and Brother Jeff, they've been going through this battle somewhat together. And while it's a little bit different, they have definitely been facing some of the same treatments and other things like that. And so the other day, as uh, Christopher was talking to Brother Jeff, his granddad, he's, uh, you know, Christopher's only about 11 years old, he, he looked at Brother Jeff and he said, Hey, what'd you name your stick? And at first, I don't think really Jeff really knew what he's talking about. But what they explained to me was Christopher had been in the hospital and been treated so much lately that he somewhat befriended the pole that carries his IV bag and the monitors. And so he calls it his stick and he names his stick as every hospital stay he goes to. He names his stick. And so Brother Jeff thought a little while and, and they decided to name the stick Elvis. I'm sure the early days of Elvis, when he's singing gospel music, I'm sure. But either way, they named the stick Elvis. And it was kind of comical, as Brother Jeff had been told, that uh, as he was to, uh, part of his rehabilita re rehabilitation after the surgery, 
He was to walk as much as he could. They said the more you walk, the more you'll exercise, the more, uh, the, the more easy the recovery will be. And so Brother Jeff was really pushing himself. Every day he'd get out of bed and he would walk around the hospital and he was really pushing himself. But every time he'd get out of bed, he'd tell his wife, hey, I'm going to take Elvis for a walk. And so Brother Jeff walking around the hospital with his stick and they named it Elvis. I, I was thinking about that as I had been studying for this sermon and I'd been listening to, to things and reading things about this passage of Scripture. And, and what you'll find is, if you study it out at all, there are a thousand different ways to describe a walk with the Lord. You see, to some people, a walk with the Lord is coming to church once or twice a week. Yes. That's a walk with the Lord. To some people, reading a proverb a day, that is a walk with the Lord. But I'm just telling you, that's not a biblical picture of what a walk with the Lord is. I don't think Enoch walked with the Lord and went to church twice on Sunday, forgot him the rest of the week, and the Lord redeemed him early because of that. And so there's a lot of different ways to describe or to try to define a walk with the Lord. But I tell you, I thought of that stick walking around with Brother Jeff, and I thought, what a perfect way to describe a walk with the Lord. See, while Brother Jeff was in that hospital... Every step he took, that stick was with him. In fact, to even take it a step farther, not only was that stick with him, but something from that stick was in him. Everywhere he went, he goes to the bathroom, guess what? That stick goes with him. He goes to the cafeteria, that stick goes with him. Everywhere he went. By the way, Brother brother Jeff didn't just wake up in the morning, uh, say hello to his stick and forget him the rest of the day. A walk with the Lord. What is a real walk with the Lord? Well, I'll tell you, by my estimation, a walk with the Lord is implementing the reality and the relationship that you have with God in everyday tasks throughout your day. Just the smallest of things. Have you ever stood at a vending machine and, you know, I go to QT sometimes and they got all those choices. I think we did a, I did a sermon up here one time. I think they had like 23 different types of water at Quick Trip. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. They still have Dr. Pepper. That's my 23 flavors right there. 23 flavors of water. I like that. But, but you see, I, you go in there sometimes, you don't know exactly what to get. And you just wonder, have you ever seen somebody stand by the vending machine and say, Lord... Should I get A5 or A7? I know that sounds hilarious and comical, but I'm just telling you, I think that that's what a real walk with the Lord is. That we would consult Him at lunchtime, not only when we pray to Him, but what we might order. That's a real walk with the Lord. You see, a walk with the Lord speaks of a progressive journey, step by step. You never leave Him. A walk with the Lord. You never leave Him. He never leaves you. I'm real guilty of this, but man, I, I, I worked for a, a, a cutting horse farm when I was younger, and the only rule that the boss had was, you got to walk fast, Andrew. you got to walk fast. It was the only rule. I didn't even have to do work. He just said, you better be walking fast. If you're going to the bathroom, walk fast. If you're, if you're acting like you're going to clean a horse's stall, you walk fast. You just walk fast. And so... This is ingrained in me for three years. I got shouted at to walk fast. And now I've seen as, as I've gotten married, you ask my wife, if I walk with her, I'm always three steps ahead of her. Because I walk fast. I just walk faster than her. That's not the picture of the walk with the Lord. It's walking side by side at the same pace as God. And that's why Enoch's life is pictured by a pleasing pace. 
What can we learn from Enoch's life? Well, we'll learn three major characteristics this morning that defined his life. Number one, his life was defined by a major change. A major change. Take your Bible to Genesis chapter 5 and verse number 21. The Bible says these words. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. So uh, he had his son at 65 years old. I'm glad I didn't have that. My dad has a shirt that says, uh, world's greatest 50-year-old dad. It's pretty impressive. I always tell people, what a stud to be able to throw this at 50. <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, Methuselah uh, came at 65. Enoch had his first son at 65 years old. I want you to notice in verse number 22 what the Bible says. And Enoch walked with God. What's that next word there? After he begat Methuselah. We know nothing about the first 65 years of Enoch's life. We know nothing. We do know, however, that the next 300 years of his life is defined by a consistent walk with God. Hey, by the way, aren't you thankful that when you get saved, God isn't constantly bringing up the things you met before, uh, the things you did before you met him? If that's coming up in your mind, by the way, that's the devil bringing those things up. Because the Lord says, what sin are you talking about? I've casted that as far as the east is to the west. I I can't remember those things anymore. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, the Bible says. And so what we understand is there comes a point in every child of God's life where you meet God and all the things that you've done beforehand are forgotten Forgotten in the sea of the depths of God's forgetfulness. Praise God for that. I think you kind of learn another lesson here, though, that in 65 years, the Bible finds nothing of meaning to mention about Enoch's life. You could sum up his life pre-Methuselah as wasted. By the way, there's a lot of Christians that are living their life without the Lord's presence and power. And guess what? They're wasting their life. A lot of Christians making money for the man and they aren't actually doing anything for God. Wasted. If the Bible were to record your life, I wonder what your life would be summed up as. What great achievement have you done? Have you started a small business or have you been a good employee or have you been a good father? You see, there's a lot of good employees and a lot of good business owners and a lot of good fathers in this world and a lot of good mothers in this world. But the thing we are lacking on is a lot of people that have a real walk with God. And it wasn't until, uh, until Enoch got a walk with God that he actually does anything significant in his life. I want you to notice a few things about this change in his life. Number one, it was a precise change. There came a day where something happened. And you could point to that day. It was clear and distinct. Others around him would have taken notice. And this day happened to occur when, at the birth of his son. If you're a parent, you remember the first time you ever looked into, in, the child, in your child's eyes and, and you remember kind of the gravity that hits you at that moment. I still, I remember it like it was yesterday. I could not believe they were letting that child go home with me. I didn't even know how to do the buckles in the car seat. And they're like, yeah, just take him on. I'm like, are you sure this is safe? I have trouble buttoning my own pants. Now I've got to do it for somebody else. 
I couldn't believe that. And there's a tremendous gravity that hits you when you become responsible for a child. And what happens in Enoch's life is when he sees Methuselah, something clicks. 65 years he's lived and he's never taken his walk with God seriously until this moment. Would to God we'd had some dads that take their walk with God seriously because they realize that they are raising a generation for Christ. Would to God you, there would be some fathers and mothers in this room this morning that would realize you cannot raise your children without God. You cannot do it without His help. You, can, you don't have all the answers. As much as you may think you do, you do not. For without God, it is impo- for without faith, it is impossible to please God. For without me, ye can do nothing. That includes raised bratty teenagers. You see, my point is this. There came a day when, when Enoch sat down and, and it wasn't at a revival meeting and it wasn't at a church service. It wasn't, it wasn't at some spiritual retreat. It was when he looked inside the eyes of his child, he said, this is big and I've got to do better. Hey, has there ever been a point in your life where you had to do better? I mean a precise moment when you realized you needed to be a man and put away the childish things. And by the way, I don't think that's talking about comic books, Craig. I think you're good if you want to read a comic book every now and again. My point is this. There comes a time in your life where you must realize you have to take your walk with God seriously. Preacher can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. Hey, I'm struggling to do it myself. You've got to do it for yourself. Hey, what do your children know about this precise moment in your life? Have you, do they know about that moment when you began to take your walk seriously? I would, I would venture to guess that most of these teenagers know preacher's testimony story. I was saved on a Thursday night in Farmer's Branch, Texas. Preacher knocked on my door. I knelt there by my couch. I bowed my head and received Christ as my Savior. These kids have probably heard that a thousand times. I would venture to guess that most of these teenagers over here could probably tell you my testimony story. I was saved in Lindell, Texas at Timberline Baptist Youth Camp. I believe it was Wednesday night. I went back and I met my youth director in the aisle. He looked me in the eye and I looked him in the eye. I said, what can I do for you, Andrew? I said, I need to be saved. And, he, and I went back to the back room and I knelt on a tile there. And I would venture to guess most of these teenagers would know my testimony story. And they'd probably know preacher's testimony story. Do your kids know yours? I'm just telling you, if there comes a point in your life where something big happens, we tend to share those moments with others. This was a very precise change. The Apostle Paul had a moment in his life where he changed his direction He's on the Damascus road in Acts chapter number 9. The Lord comes to him and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And, and guess what? The apostle Paul referred to this story at least two other times in his ministry. Once when he's on trial before the Jews and once when he's defending his faith before King Agrippa. You see, he says, I remember that light. I remember that day when the Lord saved my soul and changed my life. When's the time in your life when God changed you? There was a change in Enoch's life. And by the way, it's never too late to change. Don't tell me old dogs can't learn new tricks. 65 ain't no young spring chicken. 
And yet Enoch chose to walk by faith. There was a precise change. I want you to see, secondly, there was a permanent change. His life is broken up in B.C. and A.C., before Christ and after Christ. He, he, he actually chooses to live this life of faith. And, and what you'll find is the Bible says that he walked by faith for 300 years after the birth of his son, Methuselah. So his life before was 65 years. And we know nothing about that time period. But when, when Methuselah is born, this change occurs in his life. And after that, for 300 years, he walked with God. Let me say this, what God does, He does for good. Amen. And that doesn't only speak to the positive sense of that word, it speaks to the permanent sense of that word. God doesn't save children to lose children. Amen. God doesn't redeem anybody to let them go again. Amen. And if God has made a change in your life, He isn't wanting you to recant on that decision Amen. He's done in your life. When you start to walk the walk of faith, what you'll realize is it's very easy to turn back. But if you're going to walk with God, guess what? You have to walk in the same direction as God. A permanent change. That's why the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I think we can all realize this morning that there is a significant difference between new things and like new things, right? We all know a difference between that. Let me give it to you like this. Suppose next week a generous donor comes into the church and say, Brother Andrew, I want to get sinners in the doors of this church. So I'm just going to hand you a blank check and I want you to do whatever you need to do to get sinners in this church. And I say, well, bless God, we'll do that. And I walk down here to our local Ford dealer or Chevy dealer for some of you that are more right with God than others. But we go down to one of these local car dealerships and I say, hey, a wealthy man came by our church and he handed me a blank check and he said that I could spend as much money as I needed to to get sinners in the church. And uh, uh, we began to announce in church. We say, hey, everybody, if you'll come to church next week, we will give you a new car. You bring your family members, you bring your friends, you bring anybody, we'll give you a new car. How many of y'all would say, I bet some folks might come to that. I bet we would have trouble seating everybody. And then when you pull in the parking lot, here's what you have to do. You have to pull in the parking lot, you have to hand us the keys to your car, you have to come into church, and after church, we hand you back the keys to your new car. That's all the only requirement. Boy, I bet nobody would be paying attention in that church service at all. You'd be Googling gas mileage per gallon, you know, man, or how many, uh, ooh, that's a nice feature. I hope I get the LX package and not the SX package. I hope I get the sporty one, you know, and we'd all be doing that. Nobody would be paying attention to that service, but we set up a single file line outside, and you happen to be the first one in the line. You're like, oh, I'm ready to see my new car. And we drive a car around, we park it right in front of you, and it's your car. The same car you gave us before. But we've washed it. I mean, but it's a good, good wash. And, and you say, I thought you said a new car. I said, no, 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 no. We, we, we meant a like new car. How many of y'all think that might disappoint some folks? 
See, when I went down to the dealership, I didn't make a deal for a car. I made a deal for their detailing crew to come out, give car washes. And I think that would probably upset some folks. Why? Because there's a major difference between new and like new. I think a lot of people picture in their mind that a relationship with God is like every day he scrubs us up. Every day we get cleaned again. But when we met Christ, he gave us a new life. The Bible says in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 36, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. See, God is not in the business of doing things like new. He's in the business of making things all new. God does not give you a chance to, and you say, Brother Andrew, well, what if I've been saved 45 years? Hey, by the way, that's why we are renewed day by day. We're not refreshed day by day. We are made new again because of the relationship we have with Him. Renewed. God's in the business of making things new, and this was a permanent change for Enoch. Not only was it a a change that characterized his life. I want you to notice, secondly, his life was characterized by a consistency. Well, if there's one thing we see in Christianity today is an overall lack of commitment. Amen. Lack of consistency. 300 years Enoch walked with God. Did you know that Enoch's name literally means dedicated? Dedicated. Wouldn't it be nice if some of our lives were characterized by our dedication to God? 300 years he walked with God. I read a story a while back about a a pastor going to another pastor friend. They're having lunch and one pastor said to the other, Hey, you wouldn't believe it, but my wife treats me like God. The other one says, Wow, it's pretty impressive. You You mean that she worships and adores you? He said, No, no, no. I mean, the only time she talks to me is when she wants something. And that's that's the way a lot of Christians treat God. We have a better relationship with our insurance agent sometimes than we do with God. You know why? I say why, because when tragedy hits our life, we call Allstate quicker than we call God. Oh, Lord! We'll rely on people that we can see, touch, taste, and smell. I hope you're not tasting many people, though, by the way. But we we rely on people way more than we rely on God. That's not a consistent walk with the Lord. Our life is more like people standing in line for a roller coaster, waiting two hours for a 20-second ride. We wait the vast majority of our life to really work with God for just small segments of time. It's like going to Six Flags and spending all day and riding five rides. Throughout the course of your life, how many times have you intimately, personally, and really walked with God? See, God wants you to walk with Him. Enoch's spiritual journey was not a, uh, uh, an event. It was his lifestyle. Amen. It was a life marked by consistent faith. Somebody came up to me the other day and asked me a Bible question I did not have the answer to which happens frequently. This man came up and he said, Hey, Brother Andrew, how long do you think it was between the time when God created Adam and Eve to the time that they eventually fell in the garden? And me and I I came up with an answer. I mentioned it to preacher. He came up with an answer. I liked his answer a little bit better than mine. But I can tell you that it was less than 135 years. 
Because the Bible says in Genesis chapter 5, verse 3, And Adam lived 130 years, and begat a son in his own likeness, and after his image, and called his name Seth. Now, if you'll recall the story, Seth is not the firstborn. Who was the firstborn? Cain. So we know that Cain, Abel, and Seth were never in the Garden of Eden. And so you can back it up and say, well, if Seth was born at 130 years, Abel had to be before him, Cain had to be before him. So I'm guessing it was at least, now I think this is pretty fair, at least prior to 100 years before God created them that they fell, okay? You need to stick with me, we're all guessing, it was very supposition. But Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden every day. They had that opportunity, they had the privilege of seeing God talking to God, living with God in the garden, and yet they only lasted a hundred years? And yet Enoch's walk with God was not one of sight, but one of faith, and it lasted 300 years. See, the Christian life is not defined and not measured in days or years. The Christian life is measured in decades. We have seen some great saints of God go home to be with the Lord and we don't admire them or talk about them because of the week that they really got on fire for God. No, these men and these ladies lived for God over the course of their life. And that's how to have a consistent walk with God. It takes dedication and it takes commitment, something that is frankly foreign in today's Christianity. Not only was his life characterized this morning by a change. The change came when he, was, uh, when he had Methuselah. And a consistency, a consistency that lasted 300 years. I want you to notice finally a challenge. His life is characterized by a challenge. Take your Bibles back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 5. The Bible says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony. Will everybody read those next four words with me? Ready, go. That he pleased God. Wow. Could there be anything greater to have said about you than you pleased God? The challenge is this. He pleased God for 300 years. And by the way, everyone around him took note of it. You say, Brother Andrew, it probably wasn't as difficult of a time. I mean, there probably wasn't much of sin and wickedness. I mean, there was no Facebook back then and no Instagram back then. Probably it was much easier to walk with the Lord. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, means, and God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This antediluvian culture, that means pre-flood culture, was apostate. Everything they did was against God, and this was the culture that Enoch lived in. Walking with God means that you are walking against the culture. We are the bird that flies north for the winter. Everybody else goes one way and we stand in the middle of a current that is pushing us and pressing on us and we walk forward for God. We walk against the world. 
And the Bible even says in Jude chapter 14 and 15 that Enoch was a preacher. He was a prophet. The Bible says in Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have, un, uh, which they have ungodly committed. And of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You see, it wasn't as if Enoch just lived a life of solitude away from everything. It's like sometimes we picture that if Lot had just stayed outside of Sodom and Gomorrah, everything would have been fine. And, and we get the idea that these people like this, like Enoch, they just they didn't live in the city. They, they kind of were farmers in rural areas. They were able to protect their little harem of family. You know, Methuselah never got to go to some of the water parks. And Methuselah never got to go to the bowling alleys. They listened to boys, uh, boys to Men or Backstreet Boys. I'm very modern on my music choices, you can tell. You know, it's, we get this fake and fallacious idea that they just didn't have any problems. No, the Bible says that Enoch stood up and shouted in their faces and said, you're going to pay for what you're doing because it is against God. Amen. This idea of silent submission to God does not exist in the Bible. Well, I, I correct myself, it does, just it never pleases God. You see, Lot silently stayed in Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, the Bible says that he vexed his righteous soul in seeing and hearing the evil deeds that they did daily. This silent submission, another guy like Samson, yeah, he silently submitted to all that was going around him when he should have been taking a stand and leading Israel for God. Where do we find him? We find him curled up in the fetal position in Delilah's lap, silently submitting to God. No, what we find throughout the Bible is the men and the women that please God take a stand when no one else will. We put the three Hebrew children on a pedestal. Why? Because when everybody else bowed, they would not. We speak about Daniel as if he's a hero of the faith. And by the way, he is a hero of the faith. Because when the king made a decree that he would certainly be killed if he, if he kept praying to his, God, to his God, guess what? He kept praying to his God. When those people in Acts chapter number uh, 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 4, I believe it is, tell those men, or Acts chapter 7, tell those men, you need to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They say, hey, by the way, we ought to obey God rather than we obey men. See, we, we honor those, and God honors those that take a stand for Him, not those that silently submit. Teach teenagers buy into this idea, hook, line, and sinker. Well, as long as I live for God in the midst of a bunch of my friends that don't, I'll be making a difference. No, 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 no. There is no living for God amidst a bunch of people that aren't. You must take a stand for Christ. And that's how Enoch's walk is a challenge to us. But not only is Enoch's walk a challenge to us, this is the real challenge to me. God's want. You see, the Bible says about Enoch... That he was not. He just, he just, God took him. He was translated. One day he was walking with the Lord. The next day he just was not there. And the Bible says he could not be found. And, and it's almost as if, the way I read it, it's almost as if there's no real panic around the fact that Enoch just went missing. Because they all understood he had this testimony that he walked with God. It's almost as if it doesn't even surprise anybody that there's no manhunt because he had this testimony that he walked with God. And what boggles my mind and the greatest challenge of this passage to me is this, that God desired the intimacy 
that Enoch provided him as much as Enoch desired the intimacy that God provided him. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying God thought it was better for Enoch to come decorate heaven's streets than it was for him to stay in the world's streets. As if he improved the environment in heaven. As if it would make God's uh, 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 glory and God's uh, time better spent and better served if Enoch wasn't down there, but he was just closer up here. I have family that lives out of state in North Carolina, and I've just about done everything I can to get them to move down here. I married their daughter. We had babies. I don't know what they're doing. They must just not love children. I'm not sure. We hired Charlie, trying to get them down here. Charlie had a baby, and yet they still won't move down here. And yet, no matter what I do, I can't get them to move down here. God had the same situation with Enoch, and he said, Hey, guess what, Enoch? I would rather you just be up here, and God in his sovereign power circumvented the laws of nature in order to accomplish that. God was rewarded because of the relationship that Enoch provided him. Do you understand what I'm saying? It makes total sense that we would desire a relationship with God. For it's easy to love that which is lovely. It's easy to love that which is pure and perfect and has benefits and blessings. That is easy. What I don't understand is why God would ever love us. Because all we are to Him, or at least by my estimation, is a bunch of problems. And yet He does love us. And he took it to a whole nother level when he said, Enoch, I want you to come up here and live with me. It's as if God said, Enoch, we're already closer to heaven in our relationship than you are to earth, so why don't you just come on up? What a challenge. The Bible says in the book of Amos, can two walk together except they be agreed? You know what this means? That Enoch lived a life of faith to the degree where in every area of his life, God said, yep, that's agreeable to me. Have you ever gotten discouraged by the list that we have to do as Christians? I mean, maybe this is me just being super transparent, but I hear a message on prayer. I get super convicted and I pray for a while. And then guess what? Six months later, I hear another message on prayer. And I'm like, man, I've been focused on soul winning here recently. I haven't been doing prayer. I've been trying to clean my speech and speak of things that are lovely and pure and honest and of good report. I've been trying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet there's like another thing that I have to do as a Christian. Sometimes it gets a bit overwhelming. And yet the Bible says that the walk between God and Enoch was such that in every area of his life, God agreed with the man that he was. By the way, Enoch's just a normal guy. No special talent that we know of. He has no great platform. He's just a man who walked with God by faith. And God took him. What's your walk with God like? I mean, I'm not talking about what's your Bible reading schedule like. What's your prayer life like? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about... What are you able to implement God in everyday life? 
God's not somebody that we pick up in the morning devotion, pray for our lunch at, at, at mealtime, and then at night we say our bedtime prayers. That's not a relationship or a walk with God. What is your walk with God like? Enoch's life is a tremendous challenge to me because I tell you what, I want the testimony of all those around in this church and in this community that I please God. And I hope you do as well. And you can please God if you live a walk by faith.